Welcome to Lamb of God Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. Watching a few YouTube videos and was tired. Uh, as some of you may know, this work week, next work week are the busiest I've ever been. I'm helping with a, a Bible study, coordinating a retreat, doing 40 days of Lent. We have a one and a half year old. You know, the list just continues on. You know, as as you get into adulthood, you, these things happen. Uh, so, for me, it's growing pains. And so, uh, watching YouTube two nights ago and just sitting on the couch, ready to go to sleep. It's 8 o'clock. Prayer starts at 8.30. And so, I'm just sitting there, and up comes another uh, uh, Up Next video on one of my subscriptions. And uh, it was a pastor, one of our former pastors that... We had from South Carolina that uh, spoke on Isaiah 62. And what really spoke out to me was when he said, wake up. Because I'm about to fall asleep and I'm sitting on the couch. And he says, wake up. So if you look at Isaiah 62, verses 1 through 6, um, I'll briefly read them and then I'll show you kind of what stood out to me. Uh, so in starting in 1. For, Vi- for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called My delight is in her, and your land married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Amen. So this is this is pretty amazing to me that uh, I'm about to fall asleep and this guy on the TV tells me to wake up, to be a watchman. As it says in, what is it, 6? All the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. It's not like, hey, sometimes let's pray, sometimes... Let's let's give our grievances to all day, all the night. As we see in, with Jacob in Genesis thirty-two twenty-two, Jacob wrestles all night. And what happens when he does this all night? He gets favor from the Lord, right? So as we see in Ezekiel twenty-two thirty, it talks about what happens when you don't do this. When you don't do this, because in there it. He's, God says all of these things that are going to happen if you don't do these things. And he's searching in the city, in the whole city, for one person. Not like a team of a thousand people that are glorifying and praising the Lord. That would be great. But he just needs one person. And he couldn't even find one in Ezekiel. And it really kind of struck me that we are in different cities and are doing our prayer all the time. That this Lenten season has really kind of opened my eyes that, yes, we're tired. Yes, we have things going on. Yes, those things happen. But 
nowhere in there it says stop praying. <laughs> it says all day and all night. So I just kind of wanted to to share that, that, you know, it's, it's really not, you know, we don't need to wait on this giant movement, these, these thousands of people to mm. come together and, and pray. Amen. Just takes one person. Amen. Good word. Thank you. <laughs> Anyone else? Um, I'm trying to find the, the passage, but um, I was watching a, a video this week as well. Um, YouTube is a great resource for Bible learning these days. Uh, but I was watching a, a YouTube video on uh, making yourself prepared. Um, the Israelites have come out of Egypt, and they've spent the 40 years in... Um, in their uh, exile in the desert. And Joshua has just assumed command from the Lord. Moses has just died. And the first thing that Joshua says to them is, um, before Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land of Canaan, he charges them to consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And um, it's such a it's such an amazing like moment because they've been in the wilderness for... 40 days, I mean, 40 years, you know, um, kind of in this exile state. And the first thing that they have to do is make themselves ready for the miracles that God is going to do through them the next day. And I mean, they don't have to wait anymore. Their waiting is over, hmm. but they still have to do one more thing in, a, in honor to him. And that is to make, make themselves ready for him and to make themselves, um, to make themselves ready to receive the miracles that he's going to do. Um, it just really kind of spoke to me that, you know, as we, um, as we are trying to be stewards of our time and, and, you know, hoping to see miracles and, and Miss India prays for revival every night and, uh, <laughs> and all those things. And it's, it's important that, um, I feel like this Lenten season is, is teaching a lot of us a lot of things. And I think it is helping, um, to prepare us for the things that we're going to see this mm -hmm. year. Um, you know, whether that's, fundraising or or growing the body of Christ or um or radically changing things in in this nation I don't know I, mm. I have no idea I mean the Israelites didn't know what they were going to see either and God literally opened the Jordan for them the next day you know I mean he split the waters like he did in the Red Sea and a lot of those people that saw that that was the first time that they'd ever seen a miracle mm. I mean well not not a miracle but a, they, they'd ever seen the waters split um, because many of them were new, many of them, you know, in the 40 years, many of them were, were a different generation. Mm. The older generation had, had, a lot of them had passed away. And so it was important for them though, to understand that like, in order for God to do the miracle, we have to make ourselves ready to receive it. Mm. Amen. Anyone else? As I reflected over this past year, you know, 525,000 people in the United States have died of COVID. Mm. And um, the even though the Supreme Court said that in California the churches could meet, they didn't uphold the part where they can't sing. So even though the churches can meet up to like 10 or 25% of their people, they're still not allowed to sing. Mm. So you you've got rogue stuff going on like that and then you've got all these people who have died of COVID and now 
it appears, and I'm sorry this is strong to the United States heart, the economy is going a little south, and, you know, we are a very, very um, prosperous nation compared to others. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are very prosperous, and I think our prosperity is fixing to go south. And I just want to encourage y'all to pray, continue to pray for repentance and for revival, because I believe there's a, I don't want to say this like scary, but there's some judgment going on. And he, God's allowing some things, and I believe he's allowing it because of our our nation loves, just like in this new bill they passed, we are now, as a nation, going to pray for abortion overseas, over in other countries. And our government loves abortion. And I don't believe that God is going to turn a blind eye to it. I don't think he has in the past, but I think he's going to make things tough, but he promises that if we will repent and turn to him, that he will relent. Hmm. And it has astonished me how few Christians are repenting and turning to him. Hmm. I mean, Christians, much less um, non-Christians. So I think it's necessary in this 40 days of Lent, the reason I pray for revival is because it's necessary for God to relent and turn and have mercy on us. Amen. And um, so I've also, in my private prayers, and I probably should pray this on, at night um, with y'all, I pray for God's mercy mm. because it has been a rough year, not only on non-Christians, but more on Christians. Mm. And we're not used to it. We're used to our freedom and one day we have to prepare ourselves. What will we do if our freedom is taken away? Mm. I'm reading a, a book and it's just a novel, but um, of course, um, Jerusalem has been sacked. They've captured all the Jews as um, slaves. And there's this one girl who's a Christian. She gave her life to Christ, her, her dad. And it is a novel, so in the novel, Jesus healed her dad, and he began to witness to people. But um, one of the, um, he, she's a captive in Rome, and he goes, why are you here? And she said, to serve. Wherever God puts me, that's why I'm here, is to hmm. serve. And uh, she had, and he, it amazed him because she had quite a different perspective on life. Hmm. And I think that we need to establish quite a different perspective during this time of why God has us here. Hmm. And part of it is not only to witness Jesus Christ, not only to serve, but to repent and to pray. Amen. That's all I want to say. Anyone else? Good words. All right. Well, David uh, has a word that he shared uh, with Reclaim and felt like, let's pray for David. Lord, I thank you for David's willingness to step up. I thank you for the word you've laid on his heart. And I pray you would anoint him to deliver it. And you would open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to receive it and be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hopefully y'all can uh, hear me all right. <clears throat> so last night and uh, just over the week, I, God was laying on my heart, um, particularly us as Christians and our kindness to others. And so the title of my lesson was Christ Compels Us to Kindness. And the text I 
point with is Philippians 1, um, 18 through 26. It's like the last part of 18, so technically it's 18 through 26. But um, just beginning with the section to live as Christ in Philippians 1, going through chapter 2, verse 11. Um, and so as you guys are turning there, I think we really underestimate how much of an impact we have on each other's lives and the lives of people around us, whether it be our words or actions or both. We become off, we often become so engrossed in our own routines, our successes, our failures, that we tend to, at an extreme, um, marginalize people around us. And I don't mean that in a political sense. I mean to marginalize is to literally count others around you as insignificant. Um and so we forget about our actions and the words of our mouths and how they affect other people. Um, and yeah, those effects can be negative or positive. They can be both. They can be either one. Um, I mean, for example, I mean, when, when like a guy, I can, I can only speak from my experience. So when like a guy gets a compliment, like randomly from a girl, it's like makes his whole day, maybe even a week. You know what I mean? It literally cheers him up. He feels so confident. He can do so much after that. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> and, or like, as many of you know, working food or retail, if you have one bad customer that comes in in the beginning of your shift, it just sets the mood for the whole day. <laughs> mm-hmm. It really does. It really does. Um, but like on a more serious note, showing kindness to people, especially people who you believe don't deserve it, um, it, it has a lasting impact on us and on them. And started asking me, like, why does kindness, or I should say, like, actions in general have such an impact on people? What, what, what makes kindness so impactful? And I think part of it is we're just emotional beings. Um, I, Isaiah, uh, my friend Isaiah last night, as we were going in Reclaim, he said, that we're emotional beings and so anything that has emotional impact is kind of compounded in a way it's like oh they showed me kindness and then i'm i compound how positive that was with my emotions positive emotions towards that anyway i thought that was an interesting point but i mean also just like the way our whole like economy works is i work harder better faster and stronger than anybody else and then I will be successful financially and that will give me my identity, my purpose, um, which ultimately will bring me happiness. That's kind of, I mean, our we have a competitive market in this country and it shows whether it be in in the food industry or music industry. It's all, it really is all about competition at the end of the day. Who's more successful? And where there is value in working hard and striving for excellence, um, it can lead to us, like I mentioned, marginalizing the people around us and saying, you're not an asset to my goals, so I'm going to ignore you or I'm going to count you as a hindrance and block you out. That is not how Christ calls us to, to live. That is not how he calls us to live. And so what happens when you show kindness in a society that is like hitting you over the head with work hard, be successful, you make your own identity. So we're going to be in, we're going to go ahead and start in Philippians 1, um, the 
beginning of the paragraph, to live as Christ. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that that means fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So here, as many you know, may know, Paul wrote Philippians in prison. So his current predicament when he's talking about being delivered is he's in prison. He wants to either, and he has two outcomes, right? His two outcomes are either to live or to die. And he says, either one of those deliverances in verse 20, I will not be at all ashamed. And why is that? Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, what does that mean? Well, he kind of explains it in verse uh, 22. If I'm going to live, that means fruitful labor for me. If I'm going to die, I'm going to be with Christ. On either way, I am. I'm doing. I'm either doing what Christ is is calling me to do, or I am with Christ, which is where He's also called me. <clears throat> and so, in verses 25 through 26. He tells us what it looks like to remain in the flesh as, as a minister to the Philippians. It says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. That's what we are to each other in a community. That's what Paul was to the Philippians. And that's what I believe Paul wants us to be to each other as believers. We are here for the progress and joy of each progress and joy in the faith for one another. Now, what does that look like? Like, how do you, how do you kind of build on that? Well, I'm going to go to chapter two now, and I'll read verses one through four. Yeah. Um, chapter two, verse one through four. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any, comf- any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, so think about the gospel what do we preach we preach that we god called us to be a people we let him down and instead of giving us no way out he he himself sent came down on our level suffered as we suffered and even greater so so that way we can have communion with him and so just as the paragraph is titled this is Christ is our example of humility. That is how we are to, that's what it means to live as Christ, is to count one another as more significant than yourself. 
look not only for your own interests, but for the interests of others. Think about Jesus' two greatest commandments he gave us. They both have to do with love. One, love for God with all your heart, soul, and strength and mind. And two, love your neighbor as yourself. How do you love yourself? What do you do to love yourself? You feed yourself. You clothe yourself. You look for ways to make yourself happy. You know, you're sensitive to your needs. So what does it mean for us to put our interests kind of here and then look for someone else's interests? It means I'm going to love you the same way that I love me. I'm going to make sure you're fed. I'm going to make sure you're clothed. I'm going to make sure that the same love that I experience in Christ, you can also experience. And so my next question is, what is the end to kindness? What is the end to humility? Well, he gives it, Paul gives it to us. And I'm just going to read verses 5 through 11 here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The end of, of our humility and Christ's humility is the glory of Christ. Us, together as a community, as one body, he says, having the same mind. He also talks earlier in the chapter, he said, complete my joy by being... Notice that there's this community sense of completing one another's joy, completing one another's purpose. The end of it all and the purpose of it is to all be praising God together. It's not like, okay, you can be, you're going to be humble so you can kind of like be a good person. So you can kind of be like seen at the end of your, end of your life to it, like left a legacy. That's not the end of this. The end is Christ Jesus being glorified. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of um, the Father. So, again, Paul says in Colossians 1 that we were once alienated and hostile in mind. Um, Jesus made it so that we can be with him in all his joy and glory. But in, in, in this is kind of, so our glory, right? We normally think of glory with results in a sense of pride, like self, um, self-value, self-actualization. You know, like I took the glory because I won the Olympics, you know what I'm saying? Like something like that. But here, Jesus came down and then glorified, justified and glorified us with him. So it's not us, but we're still glorified with him. We still take all that honor, that glory that he, that he has. And so instead of our new identity making us kind of like egotistical or haughty or whatever, it actually humbles us, which then empowers us to love others. Tim Keller in his book, Reason for God, says, The Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. This leads to deep humility and deep confidence at the same time. It undermines both swaggering and sniveling. I cannot feel superior to anyone, and yet I have nothing to prove to anyone. 
I do not think more of myself nor less of myself. Instead, I think of myself less. Christianity may be, may be the only worldview where it claims truth, but instead of using it for power and gain, self-gain, it actually says, go and empty yourself for other people in humility and love, both to one another in community and to, the, to those around you. And so I want to end with Colossians 3, um, verses 12 through 17, which is Paul has led up to talking about what Christ has done, the preeminence of Christ. And this, and he oftentimes does this where he shows you that, yes, you were fallen, but now you're saved and justified and glorified in Christ. And so he says, because of that, Put on then as God's chosen ones, this is Colossians three twelve through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect har- harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. Um... I just felt like I had a lot of opinions and things that I was holding. I felt like, you know, I'm just, sometimes I feel like I'm just smarter than people, you know, smarter than other people around me. And God, and Paul's telling us, God intends us to be a people who, where, where we love one another. There's faith, hope, and love, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. And above all these is love. And love, as we see here, is is putting on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. There should be no opinion or idea that we hold that causes us to mistreat someone else. I mean, the verse before this, Paul says that Christ is all and in all. There is no race, gender, or age that we that God is giving us permission to discriminate against no matter what they've done. Because even though I sin daily and have struggled with certain, you know, different sins for years, each day is new. And Christ says, you can come to me. I still am reaching to you and saying, my grace is sufficient for you. I founded your belief in me and I'm perfecting your, my, your belief in me. And so, in Colossians, what does he say in verse 16? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is how we, this is how Christ um, perfects us. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing. And that's what we do to one another. We are to be examples of Christ's humility to one another and to those that aren't believers as well. Kindness and humility is an imperative, but is something 
that we are compelled to do because of what Christ did for us. And so that's my, my word for today. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope to see you next time.